The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm so excited about today because for the first time today in all the years that we have been doing Autism Live, for the first time we are having Dr. Stephen Shore on live. We've had him on the show during, you know, because we've been on uh, with events and things like that where we've interviewed him and had recordings of him and had the opportunity. I I mean, maybe live on a red carpet we've talked, but not in the show format. Uh, and I don't know why. I think probably because he's a very busy gentleman and I don't want to bug him, but I, I bugged him a little bit last week and he was like, of course. So I'm so thrilled that he's going to be here for so many reasons, um, for so many reasons. But first of all, because he's an amazing individual. And, you know, we talk a lot on this program about how autism isn't one size fits all. Let's face it, life is not one size fits all, right? And everybody has different opinions and they need different things. And that's the way it should be, right? And, but it, it can be hard sometimes getting the autism community degree on literally anything. And I'm always looking for what do we all agree upon? And one of the things that I see that I have yet to meet a person in the autism community um, that does not just adore Dr. Stephen Shore. He's that sort that figure that everybody can agree on. So that's a particularly wonderful thing. I'd, I'd love to know how he does that, but I think it's just being him is the thing. So he's going to be with us in just a few minutes, in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, and, we're, and I'm super excited about that. Can't wait for this interview. Um, but I'm also excited to be here with you guys, too. It's, um, you know, things are changing around the world for different people in different ways. And some people are still having a pretty rough go of it. We're particularly reaching out to all of our families that watch in India and spreading some love upon you. We are watching in horror and so concerned uh, for all of you and praying for all of you. And there are many other places around the world where things are not doing so well. You know, I've, I've been living in Los Angeles throughout the entire pandemic and, and living in the middle of a hot spot. That when we used to look at the heat maps, you basically were like looking at a map that pointed to my house, that everything around us was the hottest spot in the world for a period of months. Um, and so our experience of what was happening was so different from friends who were living in, in different places in the country. Um, and it was kind of this, you know, mind boggling thing to, to, to get our heads wrapped around. And now suddenly in Los Angeles, it's gotten so much better, so much quicker that I don't think that we're all, I'm certainly struggling to keep up to know, uh, what's okay and what isn't okay. 
So uh, we're thrilled that um, we're here and that we'll keep on keeping on. And we're, we're saying a prayer for those of you who are having a harder time. We, we certainly you know, can at least have empathy for where you are right now in this space and time. But I'm really glad to be here. I love people are writing in saying good morning and good afternoon and good evening, depending on where you are. Uh, we got uh, people all over the world checking in and I'm really excited about that because I think you're really gonna love our guest. I know you are. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm, I'm the host of this train. Uh, which is an amazing privilege. Can I just say thank you so much and thank you to all of our viewers for making us the number one autism podcast worldwide. That's just such an honor. And that's all thanks to you guys for liking and sharing and telling other people because we just don't even have a marketing budget. It's just not in, in the cards for us. So we count on you guys, if you like what you find here, to share it with other people. Our mission here is to provide information and inspiration to that larger autism community, which starts the beating heart, our individuals who are on the autism spectrum. They're everything. So of course they are the beating heart of this group, but we also include in that community absolutely everyone who loves those individuals on the spectrum. That's where I come in. I count myself as uh, a vehement member of that club. Uh, I am the mother of an incredible young man who turns 18 in less than a month now. Um, how could that have happened? Uh, he was diagnosed with autism at two and a half and he's, uh, he'll turn 18 and six days later, he will graduate from high school. What is happening? Um, so that's very exciting around here for us. We're very thrilled and grateful. And uh, it's part of the reason why I'm here. See, I'm tearing up. Um, because I want to make sure that we had a whole lot of people pointing signs for us along the way and going, oh, do you know about this? Hey, have you heard about this? Um, so that we could find our path, which is very unique and different from everyone else's path. But I said all along the way, we, we need to pay it forward um, what we found, which means I hope that we are providing a place here for you to find your road signs, which are not all going to look the same. So please write into us, uh, which we're, I'm going to tell you all the different ways that you can write in right now. And it's the May the 6th. Uh, here in Los Angeles, you can write into us. We're live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and our homepage, as well as a whole bunch of other sites. And you guys can be writing in. I'm saying hello to Yaima and Angel and Christina and uh, Asia and Sam Rawit and Kirsten and Ganja and Helen and Maheshwari. I hope I said it right. Uh, so thrilled that you're all here and already writing in. Uh, so you can be writing in on whatever platform you're in and it shows up. Hi, Pate. Again, I hope I'm saying it right. And you're in Austria. That's just so amazing. So uh, write in on whatever pl platform you're in because we love the interaction and I'm sure that Dr. Shore will love it as well. But I also want you to know, for those of you who aren't able to catch the live stream, we always podcast our show to all of the places that a podcast can be a free download. So pretty much any place that you get your podcast, go check us out. And, and we have a library of videos. We are in our 10th year now, officially, uh, our 10th year of doing this. So there are some videos. There's the library. 
uh, some serious videoage uh, where we can, and Angel, I did get your information. We're, um, I'm reaching out to Dr. Berger's office this morning to set up so that they will understand that you're gonna be calling and make an appointment. Uh, so we'll be in touch, um, but I did get it, thank you. Uh, so anyway, please write in, um, talk to us. We, we love that interaction, um, but also watch us in podcast and tell folks about us in podcast so that we can keep coming to you. Aaliyah, good morning. All right. Uh, I also want to say that while we have tons of experts that are here on the show, and oh my gosh, we have no better expert today than Dr. Stephen Shore. Uh, so tons of experts, but please don't confuse me with one of the experts. That's not my, that's not my groove. Uh, that's not who I am. I am a grateful student on this choo-choo train. And I'm a parent, I'm a former teacher, and I'm proud to be all of those things. And I want to be someone that can help you to connect to things, but I'm not the expert. So just don't confuse me for that. I have an opinion. I mean, heaven knows I have an opinion and I like to say that it's an informed opinion, but you know, that's a matter of opinion as well. Uh, so anyway, write in questions. Uh, but in particular today, you want to be writing in your questions for Dr. Shore, okay? Now, before we get to Dr. Shore, we always like to start the morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani, are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Why do we need to learn these terms? And we always say, you know, we, if we take it piecemeal, like eating the elephant one bite at a time, and really try to hone in. First, we give you the actual definition. Whenever possible, I make fun of the actual definition because that's me. And then we give you a working definition and hopefully that will help you to begin to understand. Now today, I'm told that we've never done this jargon term before. Um, that sort of makes sense to me, but not really in 10 years. We really never did this before, uh, but we don't have a record of it if we did it. So um, let's take a look at what this, because the other day we did a praxia and so take a look at what we are doing dysgraphia today. And you're like, what? What is, what's all this about, Shannon? Uh, okay, so um, let's take a look at our actual definition and let's see, I don't think there's a lot to be made fun of here, um, it, but it's a specific learning disorder in written expression referring to A, the language-based difficulties involved in constructing meaningful and effectively structured expressive writing, and B, ongoing weaknesses in spelling and punctuation that affect a student's capacity to express their ideas with clarity. And this is taken directly from the Dyslexia Spelled Foundation's website. Um, we didn't change a word in it here, but, um, you know, I think for a lot of you, you might look at that and go, oh, we're totally talking about my child here. Um, or you might even be looking at it and saying, I totally identify myself here. Uh, and I, I just want everybody to take a breath um, because they're like all things, there's a continuum and you may have trouble writing um, or you might feel that you have trouble writing um, what you want and what you need. I see a lot of times though, so many of you will write into the show and express that you are individuals who are on the spectrum and you will talk very eloquently about the difficulties that you're having in your life. 
And, you know, and one of the first things I notice is my goodness, but you are so eloquent. You know, I find myself saying that most of the time. And sometimes the person will say, this email took me a really long time to do. Um, so I, I want to be clear that you can have challenges in this area, but not have a disorder. Um, that, you know, disorder means that it's really to the point where your life is altered um, and that you really can't do it without support. So I like to think of things as being, you know, something that's hard, something that's a challenge and something that you cannot do without support, right? So when we're talking about dysgraphia, we're talking this individual is not able to do it without support. But let's take a look, let's take it down a notch, jargon it down a little bit and see if we can't get a little honed in more on this. So let's go to our working definition for this. Um, so dysgraphia is a diagnosed learning issue with expressing thoughts through writing. Many individuals with dysgraphia are also dyslexic. Uh, and I, I think that that's one of the most important takeaways from this, that if you, you yourself or your child is really struggling and I, and I really, um, yes, yeah, so I was doing a lot of reading about this and, and seeing that they, they really honed this down a lot because it used to be that dysgraphia would, would house a whole bunch of things, um, that you were having trouble with the mechanics of writing as well. And then people said, you know, that's really two different skills, being able to have the thoughts here and to be able to express them in written word that's one skill and the mechanics of it is yet another. Now, so often when we have our kiddos on the spectrum, it's hard to know, are, am I dealing with both or one of these? Like, what is the true issue here? And I'll be honest with you, there was a time and a place where I think the teachers at school would have said that my son had dysgraphia um, because when he would write, he was not writing out his thoughts um, in a way that anybody could understand them. And the mechanics were so bad and the spelling and the punctuation was so bad that I think anybody, I certainly would have raised my hand and said, oh, yep, no, I see that my son is having a hard time with that. But then we were also looking at the fact that he was have a hard, having a hard time with the writing mechanics of it, right? And so everybody was like, oh, that's an OT issue and it's just the hand, the fine motor and whatever. But it was right around that time that someone, a very smart someone named Evelyn Kung said, I think it's an eye issue. And I'm like, what? First, we thought it was, you know, his brain isn't processing to, to write it out. Then we're like, his hand isn't doing it. And now you're telling me it's an eye issue. But here's the deal. We took him to the developmental ophthalmologist and they did a whole battery of tests. In fact, Dr. Grampichet was talking about this kind of thing yesterday on Ask Dr. Irene, and we discovered that his ability to be able to track um, his eye muscles weren't strong enough to be able to do that, that he could focus better when his eyes were to the side. So we took care of that, which that in turn helped with the mechanics. And we discovered that the child has no problem being able to express his words on the page. Um, so I just want to give that as a cautionary statement to everybody that before we all jump and go, oh, uh, you know, I have that or my child has that, it's so complicated um, that there are many different areas to it. And it's really important to have experts 
evaluate your child. If your child is struggling in any area, if you are struggling in any area, it's okay to go to an expert and say, hey, what's really going on here? And let them take it apart and go, because imagine for a second, if I had decided, okay, we're going to treat the dysgraphia um, one way, and then didn't find out that it was really at the core of it, that there was an eye issue. And, and how long would that have taken us to figure out? So I really am a fan of talking to the experts and saying, there's a challenge here. There's a challenge that might even be considered, you know, something that's debilitating here. What can we do about it? We don't have to label it yet, but what can we do about it? So if your child is struggling with expressing their thoughts in writing, um, definitely something to be looked at. And I'm loving some of the things that you guys are writing in. Somebody says I'm dyslexic and autistic and was diagnosed as an adult. And I think we're finding that dyslexia is much more common in autism than maybe previously was thought. I really, if you, if you or your child um, are on the spectrum and have gotten a dyslexia diagnosis, it was a couple of years ago that we had Bonnie Yates, special education attorney on, and she went through a whole, I want to say it was more than two shows, but went through a whole list of accommodations that might be worthwhile for an individual in um, early years of school in their IEP if they had dyslexia. And her, the reason why she did this was she said, we're finding that a lot of these kids are on the spectrum and also dyslexic. And she was saying, and the accommodations are just really good for all the kids with autism. So I would encourage you to check that out. Look at the Bonnie um, Yates, the playlist, which I believe is called uh, Your Rights. Yes, Traven, is that what it's called? Uh, I And thank you, Angel. I never homeschooled my son. Um, I, I, I will be honest with you. You know, I thought that that might be something that we would need to do, uh, but we didn't. And our experts for our child, and remember, everybody is different, kept saying to us, your child needs the socialization piece because he's an only child. And he had spent a lot of time around adults. And then that he started ABA therapy and spent a lot of time around adults. They were like, we need to now get this generalized to being with other kids. So him being in school became a really important aspect for him, for his journey. Uh, but it's different for everybody. I just like to say that I have nothing but respect for people who homeschool their children. But honestly, you know, my son and I have a really great relationship, but me as his teacher is a big, you know, put a big buster sign through that. He hates learning from me. It drives him absolutely bonkers. So um, fortunately, we did not ever need to homeschool and we, um, you know, figured it out. And even in this um, period of time in COVID, he has been, he's at home right now. He's a floor above me in class right now. I think he's in honors physics right now. Um, but, um, the, you know, he's with a teacher on the screen, thank heavens, not me, because he's at a level of math and science that I can't even figure out when I'm open the book, whether it's upside down or not. That's how bad it is. Um, like, I don't even understand the symbols. It looks like the Einstein stuff to me where I'm like, what is that? What is that symbol? I have no idea. Uh, so, you know, forget it. I can't teach that. 
Uh, okay, so uh, anyway, dysgraphia, something, a new word to put in your bank um, and to ask more questions about. Let's move on to our question of the day because I want to get to Dr. Shore, uh, who's in the wings waiting. So what's the biggest challenge you have overcome, you personally? What's the biggest challenge? What's, you know, the biggest thing that you have done in your life overcome? Um, I think, you know, uh, I certainly think for, for me that the biggest challenge for me has been and continues to be getting out of my way to allow other people to help us with my son. You know, I really bought into the idea, well, I have to know what to do. I have to, now that's useful um, because I wanted to learn everything the therapists were doing, but I also had to make room for them to do it. And I am a control freak, if you don't know me. And to let other people come into my home and work with my child. And during the session, I was asked to watch and listen, but not critique or say anything to interrupt or to, you know, to say, you know, that's bugging him. That was a big challenge for me. I had to, but I had to like every day say, what is best for my child? I need to be the student here, not the teacher. Oh, that's really, for me, that's a big challenge. But what have you guys overcome? We would love to know. Ganja says, how to do 40 hours a week. I regularly do to two to three table uh, time. Other time I teach him freely with playing, talking, etc. Is this okay or not? What's your suggestion, please? So um, great question, Ganja. And yes, playing in between is essential because it's got to stay fun and it's got to stay fresh or nobody wants to learn, right? Um, and I think two to three hours table time, you got to be still be breaking that up. Uh, you know, it's different for everybody, but I really encourage you to go to ibehavioraltraining.com and, uh, or Traven, put the number up and you can call them and ask them for this week's free training. Tell them that I sent you. You just want to try one of the free trainings. But I think, Ganja, did you already tell me that you were doing the RBT? It might be that you were doing the RBT. If you are, then you already know what I'm talking about. But, um, you know, the thing about it is, is that it, I think it's best for everybody if you make a visual schedule. So if you look at all the things that you want to teach your child in a given day, and you make a visual schedule um, and you make one for your child and one for yourself that you know what it is that we're learning, but one for them so that they get a, you know, we're going to do classroom and then we're going to do fun and you break it up um, and you break it up into really small increments that a lot of times the best therapist, they'll do trials of something and they'll, first they'll do some sort of a warm up thing where they, where they're sneaking in a preference assessment of like, what does the child want to want to get as a reward for having done the work? You know, it's like, hey, you know, um, we're gonna, let's say that the child loves their marble run and the therapist says, hey, you know, in a second, do you want to do your marble run or would you rather um, color in, in your sticker book? And the, so that's a preference assessment. And the child says, oh, I want to do the marble run. And the therapist says, okay, all right, really quick. So we're going to do something and they'll do something really quick with them and they'll do 10 trials like in under a minute. They go, okay, now we're going to do the marble run. Good job. You did the marble run, right? And so that's not even four minutes and they're already getting a break and they do the marble run. They're like, yeah, okay, you know, let's play a game. Let's, you know, do this. And they, they run around the living room. 
um, or they, you know, pick up the couch cushions and, and do a quick battle with, because it's sensory regulation, right? And it's like, all right, now we're going to do another thing. And they do 10 trials. So it moves really fast. Um, and one of the things that I see therapists do is like, they get, they, they come in and they get themselves set up with all their props and their things that they, and they go from one thing to another and they just keep it moving. And the kids just get in the zone where they want to be doing all of it. It's like the best camp ever. Um, it's like for a parent, it's exhausting. I highly um, encourage you to get other people so that it's not just you. First of all, best for generalization for it to not just be you. And second of all, it's just too much for one person. Um, so I hope that answers the question. But it really means that every waking hour, instead of, you know, like, Dr. Grampy-Shea always says 40 hours was just the point that we said for therapists, but what we really want is every waking hour so that wherever you are, whenever you are, if you sort of have, I remember somebody telling me, just write on a post-it note and put it on the refrigerator what you're working on. And I was like, what? We're working on like 82 things, lady. One post-it note, are you crazy? But after that, I started picturing my refrigerator with the post-it notes of what we were working on. I, if you could see on my ring light right now, I have post-it notes of things that I'm working on right now. So, but if you have your like mental refrigerator with your post-it notes on it of, okay, well, right now we're working on the color red. And right now we're working on responding when somebody asks your name. And right now we're working on whatever it is, the things that you're working on. Wherever you are, you work on those. So if you're in the car on the way to the OT, you're like, um, I, I'm going to name something that I see that's red. Oh, I see that fire truck over there. It's red. And then you ask your child, what do you see that's red? Can you point to something that's red? Um, so you're working on red in the car. That you're, you know, if you're standing in line at the ATM and if, if you know, today it's the number four, that you're working on. I always think about like Sesame Street. The letter today is and the number is, it was like that in our house. So we're working on the number four. So we would, you know, everything would be four. Can you count four cars in the parking lot while we're waiting in line at the ATM? Can you tell me four things that are um, uh, in the car? Uh, you know, and just every minute, every minute. And that's how you get to 40 hours. That's how you get to way past 40 hours. Um, okay. Um, I want to get now cause, uh, Dr. Shore is waiting. Uh, let's talk about our topic for the day. And then we're going to get to some of these questions when we're with, uh, Dr. Shore. So our topic this week is, is acceptance versus contentment, whatever is going on for you today. And I know that with mother's day coming, it's particularly poignant for a lot of people. It's a particular bruise. Cause it's a, you're a mom right? For those of you who are moms who are watching, you're a mom, but you're a mom in an entirely different way than anybody could have ever explained to you that you were going to be a mom, right? And we see what on holidays, what other people have, and we long for them. So it can be really hard. And especially, you know, if your um, child is still having some challenges, that what I think what we all want on Mother's Day is that loving thing where your child does all these things for you and tells you how fabulous you are. And sometimes that's not what we're going to get on Mother's Day. I, I want you to hold out hope that you will at some point. But when our kids are little, I think that's 
you know, a hard thing anyway. So I just want to remind you that today you can be in acceptance of that. This is what this is. You don't have to be content with it, but please be in acceptance of it. And once you accept this is where we are today, then you can take a breath. You can take a breath and say, okay. And then the next question can be, what do I want to do next? What do I want to do about X? What can I do about X? And you can decide what action you want to take. But you, do, you know, we don't have to like it where we are right now, but we do have to accept this is where we are. Um, and that's hard. Okay. Uh, I love Parker wants to know, what is the best Mother's Day for an autism mom, in your opinion, Shannon? I, I will tell you my favorite thing ever was when my son was probably 11 years old. Um, I, it was the one and only time that anybody ever brought me breakfast in bed, but that wasn't the thing that was great. What was great was that my son gave me a card that he wrote to me himself. And it, it was when he was starting to emerge as a writer. And so there was a poem in it to me that he wrote of his own volition and he decorated it. And then he sat there with me while I ate breakfast and we talked. That was the best thing ever. That's all I ever need for Mother's Day. I don't, I don't need flowers. I don't need candy. I, you know, to hear my son's thoughts is everything. Everything. Okay. Uh, so anyway, our guest today, oh my goodness. Uh, and I'm so late, this is terrible um, that I've wasted some of his time because he is amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Stephen Shore, if I can get my, because there's too much for me to possibly remember and I just made it go away. Can you believe that? I am the most inept of ineptitudes here. Uh, well, I will tell you, uh, I've, I've made his bio go away. What I can tell you, what I was saying before, is that he is widely recognized throughout the autism community as the, I mean, the binding force of, that everyone is in agreement, that he is wonderful and we all love to hear him speak. Uh, he is a professor at Adelphi University and he also uh, is someone who holds, I, I wish I had the bio in front of me, but I'm not good enough at my computer. Uh, this is an embarrassment. I'm an embarrassment to myself. I'm going to have him tell you all the places and all the boards that he is on, but it's so many that it, it's mind boggling. Uh, he is involved in so many different areas of autism and education and the rights of people, um, children and adults on the autism spectrum in the classroom. He is an author um, and and his, some of his most recent books have are are so helpful to me at this point of time as my son gets ready to go into college because uh, he deals with the subject of how to make college life successful for people who are on the autism spectrum. Um, but I I'm so sorry, Dr. Shore, I've lost your bio on my screen. But I'm gonna let's bring him in here so I can apologize profusely and, and ask him to tell us a little bit more about him. Dr. Shore, welcome. Yeah, well, it's uh, great, great to be here. And no worries about uh, losing my bio. It's, uh, it's all over the internet anyways. People can look it up. Uh, I, uh, my doctorate is in special education. Uh, I, got a, I started out with a, with a bachelor's, master's, and all of the doctoral coursework in music education. 
But then after I finished my doctoral coursework in music education, I started getting more interested in autism. So I defected to the School of Education and got my doctorate in that. And uh, you, you got the university right. I'm at Adelphi University. Here I am wearing the hat. It's always good to support your university, whatever you can. And it's great to be here with you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. For people, I can't imagine, but if there's anybody who doesn't know you, one of the things that you're most famous for, uh, the, the most famous thing ever said about autism uh, is accredited to you. When you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Uh, and we all acknowledge that you were the person who said that. Um, but you've done so much more for the autism community. But if you would take us back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about your journey and how did you find yourself in, in, included in this community? All right, sure. Well, taking it from the top, or you might say the bottom, however you look at it, uh, things were pretty typical for me for the first 18 months. And then I was struck with the regressive autism bomb. And like with 30% of us on the spectrum, at that point, I lost, I lost functional communication, had meltdowns, withdrew from the environment, in a brief, I became a very severely affected autistic little child. There was so little known about autism in those days. So little known that it took my parents a whole year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, the doctors said, well, we've never seen such a sick child. We're gonna, you should send them to an institution. And fortunately, my parents, like we see ever increasing numbers of parents around the world, they advocated on my behalf and they convinced the school to take me in about a year. And it was during that year, my parents implemented what we would today refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program. And this was a program emphasizing music, movement, sensory integration, narration, and imitation. It probably looked like one of the more developmental approaches we have today, such as a floor time or RDI or Millimet. And I see some aspects of daily life therapy as well. So what did my parents do? Well, first they tried to get me to imitate them. And imitation is a time-honored educational strategy. Everybody's done it. But for us autistic people, perhaps to, due to a difference in mirror neurons, especially when young, that wasn't working. So my parents flipped it around. And uh, I, I saw as uh, uh, today's, uh, you know, we're talking about the word acceptance. Uh, you might say my parents accepted things were as they were. And that was the beginning of their transition from after becoming aware of autism, that's the first day of autism. I've got four days of autism that I'm gonna to get to. Awareness of autism, where uh, we've gotten pretty good at it. We've been at it for a generation. And we're pretty good at recognizing autism when we see it at home, in school, in employment, and in the community. And this awareness builds a solid foundation for that word that you're using, the acceptance word. And that is when we see parents, professionals, and autistic people ourselves. As we become aware of these autistic characteristics, we realize that these are things to be worked with as opposed to against. And that is the turning point into acceptance. These characteristics, they just are. They're neither good, they're not bad, they just exist. So let's find a way to work with them as opposed to against them. 
So my parents flipped it around and they imitated me. And once they did that, I became aware of them in my environment. And they were able to bring me along. And I believe the key implication is that as a prerequisite for doing solid and authentic work with an autistic person, you have to develop that trusting relationship first. Then you could move on. And I love that. I love that. And so, uh, and I, I love during the month. Oh, I'm sorry, you were saying? Go ahead. Oh, um, during the month of April, we were, you know, a lot of times people refer to April as Autism Awareness Month. And of course, Autism Society of America had proposed that we talk about autism acceptance. There are other organizations that like Autism Action. And, um, you know, we were talking a lot during April about how there are many A words um, and that pick, pick the A word that most resonates to you. But I love that you talk about the four A's. So, so finish that off for us. So we start with uh, awareness and we move to acceptance, but then there are other A's that we need to get to, correct? Yeah, that's right. So there's a, there's a couple more to go. So acceptance, uh, uh, let's take a look at an example, say in an educational situation. Uh, we have an autistic child who is not motivated to do mathematics. Well, whatever reason it is, maybe they're not good at it. Maybe they had bad experiences. Maybe they just rather do something else. So commonly what would happen is the child would be observed and in particular observed for what interests the child. So an interest inventory would be taken. And it might be that this child uh, lives to use a flight simulator on a computer. And that's what they go home and they do. They'll spend hours on the computer and the, the kid's parents are always having to shoo the kid off uh, so that they can use the computer themselves. So then commonly a plan will be developed where access to this preferred activity, special interest activity is taken away. However, you can earn it back by doing math. And the idea is that the desire to do this particular activity motivates the child to do math. However, that's working against the characteristics of autism. Uh, if we understand the characteristics of autism, one of them being extremely widely varying skill sets. So in other words, we tend to be a study of extremes. The things we're interested in, we're incredibly interested in. The things we're good at, we're incredibly good at. The areas we need support, well, yeah, we need a lot of support. And there are a lot of challenges to being autistic. Uh, we must recognize that, we must remediate for them. However, we need to be looking at strengths and finding a way to use strength-based approaches for supporting people on the autism spectrum. So an example of a strength-based approach would be to turn away from looking at this child as being a series of deficits, disorder, and disability and saying, well, you're not good at math, you're not good at this, but maybe we can fix them to an ability-based approach. Well, what can the child do? Well, they're fascinated with this flight simulator, so let's find a way to teach math through using a flight simulator. There's a lot of math involved in airplanes. And what this does is that sets the stage for the next A, three. The third A is appreciation. So we haven't gotten to um, Autism Appreciation Month, but we'll get there. And what appreciation is, 
uh, that's when we see autistic individuals being valued for the contributions we can make to society. And we are seeing this already in IT firms, Microsoft, Google, SAP, Apple, and others actively seek autistic people as their employees, because they know that a number of us can do IT type work better and faster than anybody else. However, my question always is, when I hear about this autistic geekery, is what about everybody else? What about those of us who have skills in the arts or in physical fitness or writing or something else? And then also included in everybody else is what about those of us who need more supports? So one thing that's in common with this autistic geekery stuff is that uh, uh, you provide some support and training for the autistic individuals, not in IT, but everything else that goes into finding and maintaining employment, all of the hidden curriculum. And we also train the uh, employers to better understand autistic people. Uh, and then we kind of uh, let them loose and they do their thing and we provide support as needed. And I say we, because this is something that I did with a colleague of mine, Robert Nassif, Dr. Robert Nassif, where we developed and delivered a 40 hour training program to 40, no, to not 40, but to a, a couple dozen uh, autistic IT employed or just unemployed. And this was for SAP. SAP was planning on hiring half of them, but they ended up hiring them all. And now five years later or so, they're all working, working there except for one, because he moved to across the country. But anyways, uh, back to those who are not IT geeks and those of us who maybe need more supports. I know of this fellow in Florida who uh, he needs support in communication. He uses a communication device, but it's still challenging. He needs support with his schedule and transportation. However, he's got this uh, curious interest or activity of taking clothes out of a dryer and folding it, folding them perfectly. I know many people who would like help with their laundry. Me. Yeah. Oh, he'd be happy to fly out to where you are and help you laundry. You do it in a moment, but you have to pay him to do it because yeah. that's his job. Of course. He yeah. spends all day in a hot laundromat pulling clothes out of a hot dryer, probably getting some kind of uh, sensory input from how they feel and folding them better and faster than anybody else. He is appreciated for his contributions. And also equally important is uh, this fellow enjoys what he's doing. He's productive and fulfilled. So those are examples of appreciation. And then the last A is action which is the glue that keeps the other three A's together, action and making sure we're recognizing autism as an educator or an employee uh, or a community member and in, in, in increasing numbers, autistic people ourselves, as we read about autism and wonder, well, gee, is this me? Yeah, I think it is. Now I'm gonna go get that confirmed with a formal diagnosis. You know, it's so clear why everyone loves you, uh, that you are the one thing that we can all agree on. I don't know if you feel that in your life, but I, you know, I am able to get the bio back up enough to be able oh, okay. to look and, and, and to say some of the, the boards that you're on, because I want to talk a little bit about one in particular, 
Uh, you're a current board member of Autism Speaks, the Organization for Autism Research, American Occupational Therapy Foundation. You're a president emeritus of the Asperger Autism Network and on the advisory board of Autism Society. And you also serve on the advisory boards of AANE and other autism related organizations. I mean, just that in and of itself is so remarkable how many organizations you are involved with. But, you know, I'm just gonna say this, we don't always in the autism community play well in the sandbox. Um, you know, that we, uh, that sometimes organizations struggle with others and there are people within the autism community that have thoughts and feelings about certain organizations. And it can be very polarizing, um, but to see you, first of all, involved with all of those places and making it work between all of those places is A, inspirational, um, but the fact that everyone looks at you working with those organizations and is positive about it is remarkable. Like there's no one else who is able to do that, Stephen. So, uh, you know, I'm just glad. I, I wish we could all figure out your secret, but I think your secret is that it's you, that you bring rationality and civility to everything that you do and everything that you say makes so much sense that it stops all of us in our tracks. Having said all of that, um, you know, we have seen in recent years that the, the, everyone is not always in love with certain organizations. And I want you to talk about the fact that you are on the board, you're a current board member of Autism Speaks. Talk about what your contribution is there and how you feel about that. All right, well, I feel good about being on the board of Autism Speaks. Otherwise I wouldn't, either would not have gotten on the board or would have left the board. I think they're doing good work. Uh, certainly they have a ways to go and just like every organization uh, can improve but they are moving in the right direction. They are moving towards, uh, they're getting off of awareness and using it as, an, as a launch pad to acceptance that is now in their mission statement where it was changed from cure and elimination of autism to awareness and acceptance. Got to get them to the appreciation piece, but they'll get there. <laughs> and with you and there, life, I'm sure that they will. No, thank you. Sorry, I interrupted. Uh, but Autism Speaks has had a challenging history. And when they came onto the scene, uh, they really were horrible because uh, they had a reaction very similar to what parents often have when they first learn that their parent, their, their child is diagnosed. And that is, okay, now we know what it is. They'll go on a massive fact-finding and research mission to find out number one, the cause, and hopefully the cure for autism, because all they can see is that there's this horrible thing that's afflicting their child. And sure, that's what it can look like. If your child is, doesn't want to be held, uh, is screaming when you try to console them, you can't communicate with the child, they're not eating properly, and there's all these challenging behaviors. So who wouldn't want to do something about that? Uh, however, I think there's a little bit of confusion between uh, uh, what autism is and perhaps uh, some of the uh, uh, outward manifestations 
caused by the confusion of being autistic. Uh, so we take things such as uh, those who have uh, horrific digestive issues. Yeah, you've got to fix that. Uh, someone who has sensory issues that they can't remain in their skin. You, you do got to do, you have to do something about that. Someone who is unable to communicate, you definitely got to fix that and find a reliable means of communication. So that was Autism Speaks when it started. Uh, it was a terrible way to come into the community. They had more money and power than anybody else uh, due to financial connections with Bob Wright. And just like a parent, you know, we're going to get this done and nobody else has cured autism, but we're going to do it. And they seem to have the money and resources and uh, influence. If anyone was going to do it, it was going to be them. Uh, so all of the protests and all of what was going on, uh, that was needed at that time. However, as I got to know more people in Autism Speaks, I also saw that there were people who realized that autism was something that was here to stay. And they were accepting autism and developing programs and toolkits that suggested they understood that once autistic, always autistic. And now we're going to find a way to work with them. And that's when we started seeing toolkits on transition to adulthood, education, and various other things to support um, those of us on the spectrum uh, in, a lifelong, in a lifelong manner. Uh, I remember some years, so I, so I helped them with some of that because I thought it was good. Wasn't on the board, but I just uh, volunteered to help them uh, develop some of these materials. Uh, they also developed a self-advocacy toolkit. And if you didn't believe autism was here to stay, then why would you bother to develop a self-advocacy toolkit? So I remember asking a board member shortly, maybe only a year or two uh, before I was asked to join the board, uh, uh, discussing with him that there probably should be an autistic person on the board. Uh, it doesn't have to be me, but it should be someone if it's an organization about autism. Uh, it would be sort of like having uh, uh, the National Women's Organization run by all men. Uh, it's just something not right about that. So, uh, and my response was, well, for those on the board, you have to either give or get $250,000 a year. And we, uh, we get enough information from the autistic people we know uh, as it is. So not a terribly helpful answer. Uh, well, then things changed. Uh, there was a new chair of the board and he has an autistic son. And in talking with him, uh, I learned that he didn't want to cure or eliminate people like his son. He just wanted his son to be happy. And as far as he knew, his son was happy and his family was happy with their son. And that's just how it should be. So after a period of time, they asked me if I would sit on their board. And I think that they, they were ready at that point. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. It caused a lot of backlash from the autism community and still does at times. But I think really what's important is to just do what's right. And I think at least for my style, I tend to do better changing inside as opposed to from the outside. There may be other people who are better at doing it that way. So that's, that's what brings me to the Board of Autism.
I'm so glad that you're there. Uh, it makes me so happy to know that you're there. And we're, we're running low on time and I don't wanna miss talking about this because you are someone with an advanced degree in, in looking at education and how we educate individuals on the autism spectrum um, and give them every opportunity that they deserve. Uh, and, and looking at this circumstance with COVID, everybody has so many questions about how can we best help um, in our, our kiddos on the spectrum, our, our, our small children, school-age children, our teens, and our adults coming out of COVID. What, what, what are your thoughts on all of this, Dr. Shore? Well, um, you know, there are three big things that come to, come to mind. Um, one is, uh, and it's kind of the same as going as we went into COVID, as we all got booted out of our respective campuses, workplaces, and uh, schools, and essentially got quarantined at home. And it made me realize that one of the important, one important thing we need to do is make sure we keep schedules the same, follow a schedule, keep it as much as the same as possible. So in talking with Temple Grandin about this, she says she still gets up at 7.30 every morning. I actually get up at seven o'clock. So, so we're both getting up in, in the sevens in the morning. She gets dressed and she writes for an hour or two. Uh, what I do is uh, I get dressed and I exercise on my elliptical bike because I realize that there is no more incidental movement or barely any. So I used to, I'm pretty active. I would ride my bicycle to school uh, and then walk from uh, between classrooms or offices doing my university type things and all that was gone. Now it was just walking from say the bedroom to the office to do work. So I had to build in and be much more mindful of, of, uh, of movement. So that meant spinning an elliptical bike for uh, 90 minutes every other day. So that, that's one thing I did. Uh, and for uh, children, for young children on the spectrum, same thing. Uh, the morning schedule is all the same. However, there is no more waiting for the yellow school bus to take you there or a taxi or getting driven by your parents or however you go to school. And we take out that picture of a bus if you have a picture word schedule and you replace it of a picture of the computer wherever it's located in the home where work is to be done. And school, uh, even if it's on the computer, it's remote education, it still has a routine. So you mark down that routine. If you're not sure of what it is, contact your uh, child's teacher or therapist and get details on that on their day. However, now we're slowly coming out of the uh, pandemics, right? uh, which means we have to switch up our routine back to going to school. So whatever adjustments we make, we, uh, we make them in that direction. So that's the schedule. Keep the schedule the same as much as possible. Whatever changes you have to make, communicate them as clearly as possible. So that's the second thing we need to do. Clear communication in the best way the autistic person understands, whether it's using words just like we're talking now, or it might be a list. It might be a picture schedule, picture word schedule. However that's done, just keep on doing that. And then finally, uh, there's the third thing is taking care of yourself. So you must take care of yourself so that you can support 
the autistic person you're supporting. And so if that means uh, uh, taking a bubble bath with a rubber ducky floats your boat, then that's what you do. If it means uh, spinning an elliptical bike or some other exercise on a regular basis, that's what you'll do. If you find your autistic, uh, the person you're supporting, or if you're autistic yourself, suddenly getting involved in uh, routines or repetitive behaviors, often referred to as stims that you may have not done a num uh, for a number of years, but suddenly they've returned. I think it's better to reframe these activities as self-regulatory or coping strategies. So if you need to carry around that old smelly used to squeeze for propane, carry it around. As long as it's not getting in the way or interfering, uh, just do it. If, it. if you're suddenly getting involved in television series and binge watching, don't do too much, don't stay up all night. But if you're kind of getting back into it, then that's what you do. And that's the uh, taking care of yourself piece. I, I love absolutely all of that. Um, and it's so great to have you here. I have to say that uh, yesterday, Dr. Doreen Grampiche was on the show and she expressly asked that we give you her love and to say hello from her. Oh, uh, send my love and hello back to her. Uh, she's a big fan of yours, as I, I think you know. And I was saying this morning, I'm so grateful to have you on this morning for so many reasons, but among them is the, the friend that introduced the two of us uh, was my dear friend, Joanne Laura. And having you here makes me feel closer to her uh, because she adored you. And I know that the two of you often um, lectured overseas together and uh, it would make her so happy to know that you're here with us. So I can't leave the show without saying that. But, but I also wanna briefly touch on, you've got a number of books that people should know about Dr. Shore. Um, you, I, I mentioned at the start of the show <clears throat> that you have a book, um, College for Students with Disabilities, um, that is pivotal, I think, for those of us who have kids that are getting ready to, uh, to go off to college or in college, that's really remarkable. Also, Beyond the Wall, Personal Experiences with Autism and Asperger's Syndrome, um, available. Uh, what other books would you like to reference or where can we get those two books? Let's put it All right. Well, speaking of books, um, uh, Beyond the Wall has just recently been translated into Bangla, uh, out in Bangladesh. And so I'm excited about that. It's been translated into a number of languages, maybe seven or eight. I, I should count them up wow. and see. Uh, wow. But you can get that book. You can also get the uh, College for Students with Disabilities book, which combines uh, powerful stories of students with disabilities uh, who are in college or have gotten through college, their experiences and their suggestions for success. And we combine that with the latest research contributed from student support organizations, such as the Bridges to Adelphi program that supports autistic students, and also the program for uh, students with uh, disabilities. We have a contribution from them as well, as well as people from uh, other areas around the nation. Uh, there's also Understanding Autism for Dummies. I guess the best thing to say is that I'm the dummy who wrote that book. And uh, <laughs> there is also Ask and Tell, Self-Advocacy and Disclosure for People on the Autism Spectrum, which is a book for and by autistic people uh, regarding self-advocacy. 
Uh, finally, where can you get these books? You can get them on my website, uh, which is uh, drstephenshaw.com. So that's one place you can get them. You can always go to amazon.com and you can find them there. Or you can go directly to the publishers. Most of the books are published from um, um, Autism Asperger Publishing Company. I think now it's called AAPC Publications is what it's called now. Uh, there's also a book from uh, Jessica Kingsley, the students with college students with disabilities is out of Jessica Kingsley. And the Dummies book is from Wiley Publishers. Okay, well, thank you so much for being with us and thank you for all the work that you do and all that, all that you share with us because you make things so clear uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful message that you bring, and it's so appreciated. So thank you so much. No, my pleasure. All right. Well, we will look forward to having you back again. If we had more time, I, you know, I, what I, what I think what a lot of us would like to know is how you and your wife met and how that came to be. Um, when is that book going to come out, Dr. Shore? Uh, well, there's a little bit of that in my Beyond the Wall book. And uh, maybe we could uh, do another episode where we talk about uh, relationships, dating, and sexuality for autistic people. I would love to do that. Down. All right. All right. Let's do that. Thank you so much for being with us, though, today. Oh, my pleasure. All right. You, you have a great weekend. Thanks. And you, too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I, I just... A programming note for everybody, tomorrow uh, we're back with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, and our special guest is going to be talking with us specifically about robots and a specific robot that is designed to help uh, with some of the challenges with autism. And if you know me, you know I'm all about the robots. I love the robots, and I've not yet met this robot, so I'm very, very excited. Uh, I wish, I, I'm so sorry, you guys, that we don't have time for more of the questions um, and I apologize to everyone about that. Um, but I, I do really quickly want to address that somebody was talking about um, feeling guilty for wanting a break or buying something for themselves. And I just want to say that, I, you know, I have no authority, but I'm giving you permission to take care of yourselves this weekend for Mother's Day. Uh, that in some some way, the way that is meaningful to you, find something that helps you to take care of yourself, to feel how amazing and wonderful you are because you're worth it, okay? And I know that if, if you were sitting there with another autism mom and they were saying, oh, I'm just so, but I feel guilty about spending time, the first thing that would come out of your mind is like, no girl, you deserve that. You gotta have that, right? So I'm saying it to you. And Nancy and I will be talking about that tomorrow and we'll be talking robots. So until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one Bye-bye.